Well, it's the simple. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let's do it. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to our Friday edition of The Line of Fire. You've got questions, we've got answers. Michael Brown, absolutely delighted to be with you. The phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. That's 866-348-7884. I want to get to as many calls as I possibly can today. The earlier you call in, the better chance we have of getting to your calls. And I want to talk to you in a moment about a long podcast I did hosted by Elisa Childers earlier this week about NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, dialoguing with Holly Pivik and Doug Gavitt, who have written about this. And I want to talk to you more about that, my impressions in terms of insight we may have gained or may not have gained with that. 866-34-TRUTH, and we are going straight to the phones. Let's start in California. Jonathan, welcome to the Line of Fire. Dr. Brown, thanks so much for having me today. Sure thing. Well, hey, I wanted to just uh, thank you, first off, for helping bring attention to what have been fighting out here in California, AB 2943. Um, I work with an organization called California Family Council, and I know you've had some of our friends and colleagues, Ann Polk from the Restored Hope Network and Matt Sharp from Alliance Defending Freedom yes. on. And I just wanted to give your listeners briefly an update. Um, unfortunately, the bill did pass out of the California Assembly yesterday. 50 and, to 18 uh, was now, the vote. Yeah, that's correct. It's yeah, remarkably. On to, yeah, yeah it's it, great Senate. It's just shocking. I, I think if people have not been paying attention, they don't realize that one of the states in the nation, the largest, the largest state in the nation, is on of criminalizing sexual orientation change efforts. They're they're on the verge of saying that people of faith who want to help their friends, their family, their children experiencing unwanted same-sex attraction uh, would be barred from doing that. They they're on the verge of declaring the gospel itself a fraud and saying that does not have the power to transform lives. And if you say so, you could be violating the Consumer Protection Act. Yeah, and, and my, my latest article, uh, it's, it's getting out there on a bunch of sites. Will California go from banning religious books to burning them? So, for example, my book, Can You, Can you Be Gay and Christian? If a bookstore sold that to someone, uh, maybe you're, you're a parent and you've got a 17-year-old son and he's struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction, and he wants to find out what the Bible says and the possibility of change. And you, potentially, uh, you, it'd be against the law to sell that book to that person or for someone, a pastoral counselor, to advocate that, uh, any type of transaction that takes place. If, if you're a tithing member, let's say you're a tithing member of a church, and as a result of being a tithing member, you get free pastoral counseling, and the pastor's going to help a 30-year-old man who struggles with gender identity confusion, that, that would become... Illegal. So it, it is a frontal assault on religious freedoms. We and many others have been sounding the alarm, and it's, 
It's, it may take something this draconian and crazy for the California church to wake up. I, I don't know what it's going to take otherwise. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that there has been a sense, unfortunately, among a lot of a lot of people, both in California and around the country, that look, you know what? If if we live and let live, you know, people are operating in good faith. And you remember back during the Proposition Eight campaign ten years ago, the line that we heard over and over was, "Well, come on, how will my gay marriage affect you know your uh, heterosexual marriage?" Exactly. And I think we're seeing. I think we're seeing the actual fruits of that. We're seeing that uh, mere civil unions was never enough. Mere even gay marriage was never mm-hmm. enough. Um, yep. We actually heard on the floor of the assembly yesterday, one of the Democrat legislators from the Torrance area basically said, look, you religious people need to evolve with the time. And he went on to cite the California Medical Association and several other professional groups. I mean, essentially, he didn't all but say it, but essentially his message was, why do you need the Bible when you have all these professional groups saying what you're doing is wrong? And that's just, that's just really chilling. I, yeah. He actually said that the First Amendment does not prohibit us from banning, quote, fraudulent activities, close quote. Uh, so, so basically, if you have atheists running the show and you say that prayer has a positive impact on people's lives or that putting your faith in God can, can uh, give you peace at heart or forgiveness of sins, well, those are all fraudulent claims because there is no God. I mean, there, there's no limit to how far this type of reasoning can go. Uh, Jonathan, when, when we had Matt Sharp and Ann Polk on the air, we gave out your website specifically. And in, in my latest article, I linked back to that article as well as to the radio broadcast. So, so we've been standing with you on the front lines. But just tell our listeners once more where they can go, and especially in California, what they can do. Well, again, I really appreciate you helping bring awareness to this. We, uh, we need all the help we can get, both in the state and across the country. People can go to the special website we've set up. We made it really easy. You just go to the name of the bill, ab2943.com, ab2943.com. That directs you specifically to the one page on our website that has the resources for this and the other legislation that's threatening people of faith. And if you uh, go to that website, you can click the Sign Up button at the top of the page. You'll be signed up for our email list. And you can also directly on that page contact your state senator if you're in the state of California. Uh, There is still an opportunity to make your voice heard, both at the legislative level and at the gubernatorial level. Uh, I know it sounds crazy that we would be pinning any of our hopes on Governor Moonbeam Jerry Brown, but uh, the reality is that he actually has surprisingly vetoed in the past uh, couple of years, he's vetoed some bills that did threaten religious liberty. So we just need to really activate. And as you said, uh, we need to not trust in princes, but we need to trust in God. But that means that people of faith need to actually step out of the shadows. They yeah. can't stay on the sidelines anymore. Yeah, I mean, look, and we've had this notion, number one, how does it affect me? Well, that's a selfish question. Aren't we here as God's stewards and representatives and ambassadors, and aren't we concerned about our neighbor and not just ourselves? But, of course, it ultimately does affect us. And as I said in my latest article, and by the way, I'm uniquely tied in with this bill because I had dubbed it the must stay gay bill and, yeah. and somehow it stuck. So SPLC and Think Progress have now reported on this guy who named it. But I mean, that's that's what's it, it went from that. It's wrong to be gay or shouldn't be gay. You should be in the closet. So now you must be you, you and anything that can help you affirm that. 
take it on. It, it is madness. It is insanity. And I said in my article, part of me wants to say, let the whole thing crumble. Maybe then people will wake up. But, but at what cost to our kids, our grandkids, our nation, our freedoms, our sanity? So give us the website one more time, please. Sure. Very simple. Just AB2943, AB2943, the name of the bill, dot com. And again, we do this, Dr. Brown, not out of a, what you know Anthony Kennedy would call a spirit of animus or hatred. We really do this out of love because we believe that the gospel does have the power to transform hearts. That yes. Jesus does love everybody. Yes. He wants everybody to experience freedom and transformation. And we cannot stay silent. We cannot allow the state of California to hide our light as the church under a bushel. Got it. All, all clear. Thank you for your, your tireless efforts. Ultimately, the gospel will triumph. And friends, so you understand, this is not forcing anyone to do anything. This is allowing people to freely live out their religious and moral convictions, freedom of self-determination. Hey, we will see triumph and victory one way or another. Uh, it could take to longer than we desire, but let's stand up today and turn the tide. Thank you once more, Jonathan. God bless you. Thanks, Dr. Brown. God bless. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. If, if you still don't know what we're discussing, go to ab2943.com and you'll find out more. And read my latest article about California. Is it going to go from banning religious books to burning religious books? That's at the Ask Dr. Brown website. All right. We go to our friend Chris in Grand Rapids, Michigan. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing fine. I hope you'll be doing okay by the end of this. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, sure. The, the, you, you're a council member of the U.S. Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, and there's an article on the U.S. Cal website by Joseph Matera that calls for a new apostolic reformation. Mm -hmm. Now my question how can you say you don't view yourself as an apostle when you belong to an organization of apostolic leaders? And the next couple questions, yeah. how can you say NAR doesn't exist? And how can you say you're not part of NAR when the, when the organization you belong to is calling for a new apostolic reformation? Yeah, very easy. But great questions. Thanks. First, no, I, I don't consider myself an apostle. And when Joe Matera took over the organization that was once led by Peter Wagner, and I was never, never part of it when Peter Wagner led it, the first thing that he did, he said, I won't, I won't lead it unless you agree to change the name from apostles to apostolic leaders. So that, that puts out a wide net of people in different leadership roles because I've been a founder and a pioneer and a senior leader over ministries I've been asked in. But no, I, I don't consider myself an apostle, and I don't consider everyone in that group. There are hundreds and hundreds of people in that I don't consider everyone in that group an apostle either, nor does everyone in the group consider themselves. So it's, it's a more broad group with a, a broad function. That's one. Interestingly, Joe Matera uh, wrote to me earlier this week with his newest article where he categorically differs with numerous things associated with today's new apostolic reformation and wants to come on the air with me to make clear that he and his group do not believe in this and this and this and this and this. So... So you got three things here. Number one, there was a group that Peter Wagner led and a term that he used, New Apostolic Reformation, that spoke of specific practices and beliefs that I don't hold to and Joe doesn't. We may agree with some, but others neither of us hold to. That is the alleged worldwide movement that we say doesn't even exist and people don't even know what you're talking about. That's but number one. Are you uh, and, Yeah, it's, that, that's number okay. one. Okay. Number two, 
there is what Joe's calling for, which is using similar words. But if you read the substance, calling for something very different. And then three, there's just what's happening in general in the charismatic Pentecostal church, the good and the bad. And that somehow all gets put under this rubric of NAR. It's totally ambiguous. I had a discussion with folks about it for two hours early this week, and I still don't have definition. I still don't know what characterizes an alleged NAR church because some of the definitions they gave, I said, but here's a website of a major church you claim is NAR, and they deny all of, all of those tenets. So I still don't even know how it's categorized. But interestingly, but, yeah, go, go ahead. T- tell you what, stay right, stay right there. All right, I got a break. Okay. We'll come back on the other side, okay? Okay, thank you. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the broadcast 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions. We've got answers. Yeah, back to you, Chris. Go ahead. Okay, so it, it sounds like he's trying to, they're trying to distance themselves from what was traditionally the NAR, but when I look at the U, the U.S. Cal website, mm-hmm. the substance, the same substance still seems to be there. On their For Our Vision statement page, it says, the truth is that politics is the only expression of societal power. We need the influence. We need to influence the world mind-molding sectors of society if we are going to dictate the direction of culture. For example, we need to influence, infiltrate, and control so dictate, control, mm-hmm. infiltrate. Um, another. Uh, yeah, I, I can. Only, yeah, Chris, I can only that. say that I had when I had Joe on the air the other day. He brought up right. that we're not sp- we're not called to take a city; we're called to serve a city. So I mean, it, 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 I mean, and he's but, he's the leader of it. So look, I haven't. Let me let me be fine. I've never been to the website. Okay. I haven't read what I I'm there entirely relationally. I know some of the guys, it's a good fellowship. Uh, and I've, I've been to maybe one meeting in, in years, but there, there's some, some dear friends I have that are part of it. Like Joe Matera, who's a, who's a wonderful but, brother. But now, so, that, but now, but now that you know that they're still using the substance of NAR, just maybe changing the, the chair. No, no, no they're not. They're not using the substance. There are plenty of things that they, all right, Chris, 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 you got to listen to me. You got Chris, Chris. Okay, listen, I'm, I'm trying to, I got a ton of calls. I'm trying to be respectful. You have to, obviously you have an agenda or you want the truth. I'm going to assume you want the truth. So I'm going to help you with the truth. All right. You're parsing every word through this nefarious conspiratorial theory that does not exist. All right. It's that simple. And many of the things that nor allegedly holds to or that peter wagner espoused i've never agreed with joe matera doesn't agree with most of the people within this organization now don't agree with so what you need to do is look at the whole all right i'm telling you out of the horse's mouth what people believe and practice okay now 
Nor supposedly believes like all these different things. I still can't get clear definition. I did two hour discussion. I still don't have clear definition because when I went through some of the list and said the people I know don't believe in this, 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 are they part of art? Well, that's only part of the list. Well, where's the list? When I asked for the list explicitly, I was told, read the books. You'll find there. Well, just give me a simple list and then we use a checklist. For example, one website here, I mistook you from another Chris for, from uh, Michigan or North Dakota or whatever it was. I mistook you for someone else. You asked questions similar to that person's questions. I thought you were someone else. That's exactly what you're doing here. Okay? It's, it's that simple. But anyway, Joe Matero will be on probably within the next few weeks. I said, by all means, listen to the discussion, and that should sort things out for you. But I, I do appreciate the call very much. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Zach in Oregon. No, we won't go there. Uh... Let's go to Brian in Florida. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Hey, Brian. Hi. My father is a homosexual Catholic, and I I was wondering what resources you had that I could use to reach him. Well, the best resource I have does not specifically address Catholicism, but all the biblical and spiritual arguments hold true. That's my book, Can You Be Gay?, and Christian. Can you be gay and Christian? You can get the book in numerous different formats. That would be the very best thing we have. If he's not a reader or you don't think you'll be able to get him to read the book, just go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and type in can you be gay and Christian, and you'll see videos where I've taught on that very subject, gone through what the scripture says, reached out with compassion. So the book, if he'll read if you won't read it, you can read it and get educated. Can you be gay and Christian? Or if you won't read the book, maybe he'll sit down with you and watch the video, which is Compassionate Outreach, and in which we base things on Scripture. Do you know anything about the Catholic aspects? What resources are good for that? Uh, honest, honestly, all of the resources that I'm aware of are just written for a general Christian audience. There are some... Uh, you can check out the website, uh, People Can Change... I believe that's the name of it. And, uh, or uh, there, there, are, there are Catholic organizations that specifically do outreach to LGBT community. Courage may be one of them. I'm not sure if they're still around. Uh, but you could, if you just search online, uh, uh, ex-gay Catholics, you'll probably find some organizations as well. There's nothing I know of specifically just because that hasn't been a, a, a focus of mine. But if you'll search right, online for ex-gay Catholics, yep. Sorry, can't help beyond that. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Steve in Manhattan. Thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Hello. Uh, I've got, tra- got a translation question. Yeah. Uh, in Romans eight nineteen to 22, mm-hmm. they use the word creation in most modern translations, but in the King James, they use the word creature. And I'm wondering, are these two different Greek words, or is it just the same word? Right, so Romans 8.19, King James, the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. New King James already changed that to creation, and then CSB, ESV, etc. So the first thing you know is if the New King James changed it, it's using the same Greek word. Sometimes you have a textual variant that say maybe the ESV is using one Greek text, and the King James was using a different Greek text, you know, here and there on minor variants. So that's not the case here because you already see 
the the uh, the New King James changing creature to creation, and um, the uh, the Greek word in question, ktisis, can mean creature or it can mean creation. So it's it's something created. You're talking about an animal. Are you talking about human beings? Are you talking about the entire world? So it's a matter of interpretation of the word. So it's the same word, just being interpreted differently. Right. But the, would that interpretation be based on the, the context that? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I- exactly. Uh, so, so for for example, I'm just looking at. Um, yeah. So here's something very interesting. I'm looking at the uh, the Aramaic translation called the Peshitta. All right, and and the the Peshitta has creation. Uh, the uh, when it's translated into Hebrew, it says creation. So I would read that. I'm only seeing creation. If you go back to William Tyndale's translation, which preceded King James, he has creatures, plural. But contextually, uh, in this context, it's not just talking about a creature, or but creation in a wider sense. So it's all context that would determine that. And that's why overwhelmingly they go in the direction of creation. Can I pinpoint another word in that verse? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it's in verse 23. It, it, when it talks about travail in pain, in yep. most modern translations, they, they translate that as childbirth. I'm wondering, uh, is that the accurate underlying uh, meaning? 23, where do you see travail? I think it's uh, when it talks about the, the expect. You know, tra- so you mean 20, 22, 22, not 23, right. Yeah, so uh, groaneth and travaileth in pain. Uh, yeah, so it, it is talking about labor pains. In other words, King James, when it says travaileth in pain, it's talking about labor pains. So that's just Old English. It's saying the same thing there. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Sure thing. You're very welcome. All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go over to Sam in Utah. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Michael Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Good. I have a question for you. Actually, a few. <laughs> um, I've read a few places where Paul says that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, it's only one place. It's only one place. It's in Colossians, the first chapter, where he's talking about the yeah. persecution and suffering he's going through will fill up some of what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. So he's obviously not talking about something that's lacking at the cross. Paul preached the finished yeah. work of the gospel as clearly as anyone and we don't have to prove, you agree, we know that. Yeah. Uh, when Jesus yeah. said it is finished, it was finished. However, there was a Jewish was concept, fine. Jewish concept of the sufferings of the Messiah and the Messianic era, meaning that in, in association with the Messiah, there would be season of great pain. Going back to the childbirth image that we just had a moment ago, so that those who are persecuted and suffering are joining in the larger sufferings of Messiah, that are part of a larger aspect of God's world redemption. So the forgiveness of our sins paid for 100% in full at the cross, and nothing can be added to that. Then there is the ongoing suffering of the Messiah with his people in the world, these ongoing afflictions in which we participate with him in the redemption of the world. And that's what Paul is referring to there. Okay, so anytime we suffer for the gospel or righteousness, we're filling up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? 
Yeah, yeah, well, we, we are, if, if you can say that rightly without being misunderstood. And obviously Paul's audience knew what he was talking about. That's what it says, for example, in, in 1 Peter, uh, the fourth chapter, right, where, where uh, Peter is writing about the sufferings that the believers are going through there. And he says specifically, verse 12, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal, right? Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. And that's why we'll share in his reward. If we suffer with him, we share in the reward. Now, we know that on a certain level, what Paul's saying, there's something in a larger redemptive part of that. And that's why John writes in Revelation, the first chapter, that I'm your companion in the kingdom and suffering and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. This is part of our lot in him. But yes, we're joining with him in an ongoing way, suffering with him for the redemption of a dying world as co-workers. A great question. Thank you, sir. We'll get to other questions another day, all right? It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know what's really cool? It's to look at my screen and see calls from Canada, Ireland, and then all over the country here in America. I can't tell you how much joy I have being with you on these broadcasts. I wish we had hours and hours where I could sit and answer your questions but we are, we're going to be launching an online leadership forum. We'll be telling you more about that in the days ahead, where once a month I'll get with leaders and leaders in the making, do a special webinar training. Folks can register for that. And it's, it's like going to a special class, except focused on the things I can impart to leaders. But whatever we can do to answer your questions and be of help to you, it's our joy. 866-34-TRUTH. You've got questions. We've got answers. Well, let's, let's go to Ireland. Kyle, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Dr. Brown, uh, it's great to, to talk to you. We love you over here. And uh, I had a question about the Septuagint. I have really enjoyed reading the Old Testament in the, uh, in the, in the English translation of the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, what's your thoughts, the fact that most of the New Testament draws from the Greek Septuagint versus the Marx? Why? I mean, people just say it was the language of the day. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yes, so the New Testament writers, when they're quoting Scripture, primarily quote the Septuagint because they're writing in Greek, right? So when, when, I'm, when I'm writing a book, unless I'm doing a commentary on the book and providing my own translation of a book of the Old Testament, otherwise I'm just quoting from a different English version. And let's say we had the, the King James and the RSV. Those are the only two versions we have in English. So as I'm writing, unless I'm going to freshly translate the Hebrew and the Greek, I'm going to quote from the version that most of the people have access to. So if everybody had the King James, that's what I'm quoting from. So that's what the New Testament writers did. And again, this was a translation widely used in the ancient Jewish world. And here and there, it'll vary from the Hebrew text in different ways. But unless it was seen to wrench the meaning, then that's what was used. Now, here and there, for example, Matthew deviates from the Septuagint. For example, in in Matthew 8, he translates from Isaiah 53 straight from the Hebrew rather than using the Septuagint. Paul, in some of his quotations, seems to modify 
the Septuagint. Maybe he's bringing other verses together or he's not entirely happy with the translation. But otherwise, that was the Bible that people had access to. So if I'm quoting scripture to you, let's say the only English Bible that you have access to is the King James, and I quote scripture to you, and I use my own translation, you're thinking, I don't see that. I don't see that my, my Bible says thus and such. So that's what's being used. And as careful as the authors were to look at every word, it also reminds us that ultimately it's the overall spirit and sense of it and not necessarily parsing every grammatical detail that they were looking for. That's an excellent answer. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Pray for Ireland. We're in the middle of a big fight for for pro-life here. I know. uh, So pray for us. We appreciate that. Yeah, massive battle. You've got a great pro-life history. A shame, a terrible shame to see it change now. Thanks for the love from Ireland, 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Canada. Uh, Mehdi, where exactly in Canada are you? Hi, uh, Dr. Brown. Uh, This is Mehdi. I'm I'm MBB background from uh, Middle East. I'm pastoring a church in Georgetown, Ontario. Wow. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I have a question. in regards to Messianic uh, Jewish people, who are these guys? And I have a friend who used to be my neighbor and who's always challenging me and sending me emails that you have to be uh, grafted into Israel and uh, you need to go to Saturday instead of Sunday. Who are these people, if you can just explain to us? Yes, sir. So uh, these people make up a broad, broad spectrum. Some of them being people like me, some of them being people who are like those that you're encountering. Broadly speaking, a Messianic Jew is a Jewish believer in Jesus. Specifically, a Messianic Jew can mean a Jewish believer who attends a Messianic congregation and who continues to live as a Jew, not for the purpose of salvation, but just like Paul and Peter did. They they lived as Jews. They participated in the life of their people. In other words, following Jesus does not mean you stop being a Jew. You, you will not practice all the Jewish traditions, but it's not like leaving Islam or, or leaving Hinduism, uh, that you, you can be a former Muslim or a former Hindu. I'm not a former Jew. I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. So there are many Messianic Jews around the world. There are probably several hundred thousand of us that are sound believers in all the orthodox fundamental doctrines. Everything that you would hold to is fundamental we would hold to as fundamental. And many would say the New Testament never changed the Sabbath to Sunday, so we still observe the seventh-day Sabbath. We, we don't see the institution of new holy days, so we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus within the context of Passover. But this is not for our, uh, our justification. We don't do these things for justification. That comes by grace through faith. There are others who go to extremes that say everybody is required to observe the Torah. Everybody is required to observe the seventh-day Sabbath. Everybody is required to observe the dietary laws. And if you're not, you're in disobedience to God. So that's the fringe group that goes way too far, and some of them actually go completely out of the faith. That's the fringe. The great majority of Messianic congregations you'll find to be fellow believers in Jesus the Messiah, believe in his death and resurrection and deity. And it's just like in the early church, sir, there were different groups. There were the, the Ebionites and the Corinthians, not Corinthians, but Corinthians. These were Jewish followers of Jesus who had some heretical beliefs. And then there were the Nazarenes who held to all the fundamental Orthodox beliefs but continued to live as Jews. 
and, and they existed for centuries and centuries in the early church, and it's just a matter of Jewish believers reattaching themselves to their biblical New Testament roots, and it's a very healthy and positive thing. Does that help you? Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Brian. So in short, these, these guys are the extremist guys that they, they, they follow the, uh, you know, the Jewish Sabbath, you know, Jewish dietary eating. Well, no, the, extre- like the extremist is saying it's required for everybody. In other words, I, for, for me, if I'm not on the road traveling, Sabbath is, is a Saturday for me. That's my, my day of rest, you know, before the Lord. And, and I prefer celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus within the Passover as opposed to a, a separate holiday separated from the Jewish calendar. But that's not a matter of salvation. That's not a matter of, of being right with God or not right with God. The extremists are people like this guy that, that are harassing you and telling you as a non-Jew that you must do these things or something's wrong. Uh, may I encourage you, sir, to get a book by Dan Juster. J-U-S-T-E-R, Dan Juster, called Jewish Roots. It's been a classic for many years, and I think it will give understanding. He's a leading theologian, a great heart for the whole church. Dan Juster, J-U-S-T-E-R, Jewish Roots. All right? Hey, God bless you. Thank you, sir, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Sacramento, California. Antonio, welcome to the line of fire. You there, I'm Antonio? Here. I'm here. Can you hear yeah, me, okay. Dr. Brown? Yeah, go Can ahead. Go Dr. ahead. Uh, yes. Thanks for taking my call, and thanks for being a blessing in my life over the last few years. Sure thing. Uh, question: So I'm in Sacramento, California. I'm an African American, conservative, spirit-filled Christian. You know, we just had a situation with uh, the killing of uh, Stephon Clark and yeah. other social issues going on across the country from the Starbucks arrest, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen a lot of articles on my Facebook timeline from my very dedicated, reformed, evangelical uh, people I follow, including your friend and somebody I respect, Dr. James White. And there are all these articles about and against social justice, and I'm having a hard time reconciling how some of these issues aren't biblical. And, for example, when we celebrate Martin Luther King, I'll see articles that bring up his moral failure, which we all know, as if the Bible isn't clear of examples of David, of how God can still use people with moral failures, or they'll talk about how, well, his doctrine wasn't all the way. And as an African-American, I'm looking at this, I'm like, wow, we're going to look at what, how God used him to bring great yeah. change in this country, but you're going to ignore that from 1619 until 1968 legally, and then still past that. Everybody in this country was Christian, and a lot of people were Reformed, yes, and sir. had great theological doctrine, but yet they supported slavery, black codes, Jim Crow, legal discrimination. So I'm just torn by the, the angst I yeah. hear from them going against social justice as if it's not biblical. Yeah, so, your opinion, because I know you're in both worlds, so I wanted to see what you yeah, thought. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for sharing it, and thank you for the heart with which you shared it. Uh, I, I know Dr. White had interacted with me. He was concerned about a conference that was held, an evangelical conference that was supposed to focus on social justice that he felt went to various extremes. And I know that he was feeling the need to confront that as opposed to stand together for justice. But that's all I can say in terms of speaking for him. I just know we interacted privately a little and I hadn't followed the conference. But let me talk more broadly. What's happening is there is a reaction against the reaction, meaning, and there's no excuse for it. We have to do better. Okay. But here's what I mean. You have, say, Black Lives Matter. So, of course, if, if, uh, if someone 
is shot down in cold blood. Of course, if there's an overreaction, of course, the, the Philando Castile thing and how that happened. And, and, you know, would that have happened if it was a white man in the car saying, I have a gun and trying to, you know, do things the right way? Would he have been shot dead? I think there should be an outrage. I, I think there should be concern. My African-American callers over the years really educated me to a lot of things that I, I didn't grow up with. I've never been racially profiled. I've never had to deal with these kinds of issues. And they were God-fearing people, people who love the Lord, people who love the authority. And they were telling me, look, we have to teach our kids. You've got to be extra careful. Otherwise, you get shot. So they're not making this up. In other words, it's not just urban myth. This is their experience. But then you have, say, the Black Lives Matter movement funded by radical leftists, led by people with really, many of them, horrific ideologies, now calling for violence against police, you know, some of them doing that, and then, say, using my namesake, Michael Brown, as the poster boy, whereas, as far as we know, the whole thing was a myth, you know, the hands up, don't shoot. So you have the one side, the Black Lives Matter swinging too extreme, then you have this white conservative reaction the other way, and instead we don't deal with the real issues, we don't look last night. I saw this report late last night about a, a an African-American man, a father of three with a woman and others in a car at Walmart. And police got a call about a suspicious vehicle. And then uh, they they claimed the vehicle started driving towards them and they shot 30 times. The guy was killed. The woman was 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 seriously injured. And then the lawyer said, what are you talking about? They weren't driving toward they weren't attacking anyone. Look at the video. So I, I posted the article. And I said, is there any justification for what these officers did? If not, what a horrible tragedy. Either way, may the truth come to light. May justice be done. I immediately wanted folks on my Facebook page to say, hey, I'm, I'm sensitive to these issues. We don't know the facts yet. So stay there. I'll try to bring this to a clear conclusion on the other side. But thank you for calling. You raise a legitimate concern about a blind spot here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey folks, mark this on your calendar. Unless there's major breaking news I feel I need to cover or the Lord really burdens me with something over the weekend, I'm going to do an extra You've Got Questions, We've Got Answers broadcast on Monday. So everyone that's been on hold today, uh, try to get through early Monday. We'll try to put you towards the top of the queue. If we don't get to your call today, uh, keep trying. We do our best to get to as many calls as possible, but obviously answer with substance. So, a Antonio, I, I see a few things happening. One is many times we're not sensitive to issues going on. When I say mm -hmm. we, I mean anybody, because I didn't live in your world, you didn't live in my world, etc. Mm -hmm. And then when, when you see, say for example, a stats being used and, 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 and an argument being raised about black Americans being shot more, more readily than white Americans, then you say Heather McDonald comes on with her book on the war against cops and actually says statistically a black officer is more likely to fire against a, a black suspect than a white officer. And the statistics go against the narrative. And then the Michael Brown things put forward rather than saying, okay, that appears not to be accurate, but why do so many African-Americans feel that they're get, not getting a fair shake? Why have so many been racially profiled? 
why are these things in the news? Can we deal with that? And unfortunately, we do a bad job of it. It's just right. we go to one extreme or the other. You have the radical wow. left social justice warrior and, and then the conservative right, you know, pushing against that instead of saying, all right, let's let's meet in the middle and talk about lives and and right. and, and the evil of segregation and these things. It's uh, you know, I was I was watching a, a basketball game chill the other day. It was an NCAA game and they were showing a, a picture of a guy in the stands. Uh, an African-American player, and they talked about the groundbreaking role he had because the rule was you can only have two black players on a team. I'm thinking, what in the world? What kind of world did we live in? And it's pretty recent. You know, I, I didn't grow up with it in New York City. I had black friends. I went to mixed schools. You know, my, my, mm -hmm. my second organ teacher was a, a black man married to a white woman. I just didn't grow up with it personally. It's like, wow, this was more recent and more pervasive than a lot of us realize. So Unfortunately, we react one extreme against another, and we we got to do better. You know, it's, it's well, I'm, you, I'm trying. Can I ask you this? Yeah. So, for example, you bring up Michael Brown and, and such, and, and I think because that was such a big deal and I got a lot of media coverage, but as you know, there's many more instances of names that didn't get the big-time media coverage because there wasn't a protest or a riot associated yes. with it. Yes. So, and I I'm, I'm, grew up in Sacramento, California, very diverse I grew up with black, white, every Mexican type of friends. I go to a diverse church, so I, I see it, and my Facebook timeline is filled with liberals and conservatives. So I see what happens during these events, just like you do when you post things. You see both sides of people's yeah. opinions. Yeah. But And it's hard for me because a lot of the people who write these articles, I follow them. I look up to Dr. White. I look to these people. Yeah. But I'm looking, I'm like, wow, there's not a single incident where the cop was wrong. There's not a single incident exactly. where there wasn't some racism involved. And and it's funny because it's like I talk to my grandma who's from Mississippi, and I'm like, wow, she can tell me all kinds of stories. And I've been telling people, like, I get you maybe tired of hearing us protest, but as a culture, we had to go through drama for 360-something years. It's only really been 45, 50 years since we've legally been on the same playing field. So and a very small slice that, of the overall history, a very small yeah, slice. very small slice. And for people to think everything's okay, and here's, and I'll say this because I'm in Sacramento, so I was front row. I didn't protest, but I had a lot of friends down there. I watched what was going on. All I had to do was look at this, the Facebook live streams from the local news channel, and that enough proved to me racism still exists. The comments people were making yes. about what they perceived, and I'm like, wow, people think we're post-racial? I don't think so. And so I guess my heart is, as a Christian who goes to a multicultural church, who believes in unity in the Spirit of God and knows that in a Revelation it says, at the end, all tribes, nations, and tongues will be at the throne, how is it there's such a blind spot from my fellow Christians when it comes to these racial issues, yet they don't have the blind spot if it had to deal with something overseas? Over yeah, so so my, my, default, my default is I have lots of blind spots. That's my default. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't know them because <laughs> you don't know them. So. Right. There are things I'll die for. There are hills I'll die for. And I've examined them from every angle. And I'm convicted before God. And if I'm wrong on that, I'm wrong. You know what I'm saying yeah. about mm -hmm. God and his word? And, and yet to think that I always have the right perspective. Look, I'm not, I am not a, a right-wing conservative politically. Uh, I am biblically-based conservative, which then leads to voting in conservative ways based on certain life values. But I, I don't just check off the list at all. You know, I, I may be in harmony. I may not. So there is the, the kind of the po political right and the political left. So here's what happens. Donald Trump gets attacked for his past and, and whatever, sexual infidelities, uh, alleged or real. Okay, he gets attacked for that. So now someone's going to push back. Well, you're talking about Martin Luther King. It's like, can we grow up? 
I've appreciated right. Dr. King for years. I've quoted him for years in whatever failings he had or whatever weakness in theology. God knows I'm quoting him as a revolutionary leader with admirable tactics, etc. And whatever his secret life was, that's between him and God. They may have heard him in different ways. Who knows? I mean, the FBI wanted to always blackmail him over that. But to, to me, he's, a, he's a, a champion and a hero. And it's not that I overlook the other things. I'm not looking to him in that regard. And with Donald Trump, my big issue is not what he did in the past, because I didn't think he was a Christian. I, that's who I thought he was, you know, playboy, right. narcissist. My big issue is how you're handling yourself as president. You know, what kind of person are you as, as president? How are you, you know, so a, anyway, the thing to do, though, and, and, and w- is what you're doing. Don't you be reactionary. You right. try to hold that holy tension of asking questions on both sides with people you respect. And look, I get blasted because we'll post a meme to get a certain point. And the memes are posted by my team members, you know, to get a certain point across. Well, that may not be as nuanced as we would have done it. Next thing you see how much divisions out there and you know, how, how much racism there's on all sides. I mean, black hatred of whites and white hatred of black and Asian hatred of Hispanics. And, but you know, it's all around. So somehow we have to lead the way. And I'll say this last thing. My generation, when we were growing up, it was all peace and love, you know, peace, man, the whole hippie dream and all this. And we went about it the wrong way. Although we had some good ideals and, and good values, we went about it the wrong way. And it ended up being very corrupt, very destructive. So the younger generation today, they're all about equality and justice. And what the church needs to say is there are a lot of good things you're after, but you're going about them the wrong way. Here's the right way to approach them. But thank you for the call, and let's keep praying that all of us will step higher and within the Lord come together for the good of a sick nation. Uh, thank you, sir, for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Yeah, and correct, a meme by, by definition is not nuanced. So you want a nuanced statement, read my articles, listen to the broadcast, read my books, watch the videos. You want a blast of a statement, check out the meme. All right, let us go to... Okay, in Eagle, Idaho, CJ, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you for talk, taking my call, Dr. Brown. You um, bet. So um, I want to make uh, clear real quick just because I know that you obviously can only speak for yourself. And you, um, part of my experience in generating this question comes from um, listening to multiple different apologists, and I don't want you to have to answer for any of them. Um, but I seem to hear consistently, whether I'm listening to charismatic circles or um, Calvinist circles or Baptist circles, or even some of the more you know extreme circles like Stephen Anderson, everybody seems to be agreeing on things like um, oneness being a cultic idea. Mm-hmm. And it seems strange to me because I've always thought that, you know, if we all agree that there's one God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God, then that shouldn't, you know, our interpretation of what he, like how exactly he is that God shouldn't define whether or not we're a cult. And I was just wondering if you might yeah. have any... Yeah, I, I feel, as, as a Jew, I fully understand that emphasis. I've had one of these people say, come on, you're a Jew, we believe in one God. Shouldn't you be happy with that? I've looked at it Sometimes the way that you have as well, saying, hey, I, I've met oneness people that in every way seem to hold to certain fundamentals of the faith, just express them differently. But would you agree that if someone says that the Son of God is not eternal, 
that that is outside of the, the, the pale of the biblical faith. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say that would have to be, because it says that, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it says that he was with God um, creating the heavens and laying the foundations right, of the right, earth. Right, right, right. So Jehovah's Witnesses outright say he's a created being. So we agree that's, that's a cult. Uh, what, what Dr. Right. White has pointed out to me, because I've never examined oneness beliefs in real detail, you know, had minor debates, but unfortunately I haven't focused on it in detail, that they actually don't believe in the eternal nature of the sun, but rather, and I'm, I'm going to misstate it, but that this was a manifestation or a, a personality that he took on at a certain point in time, you know, so that it's, you know, the way the oneness people would explain it, that you may be a police officer wearing a uniform and you come home and you kiss your wife. Now you're a husband then your kids come and hung you. Now you're a father, but you're just one person. Whereas we actually believe that Jesus had communion with his father, John 17, before the world began, that the father sent the son and the son sent the spirit. And therefore we're talking about three distinct persons within the Trinity. So to deny that would be considered denial of a fundamental of the faith. So first John two, that says, whoever has the son has the father. Also, Dr. White would say that by the oneness definition, they don't have the son because they don't believe in this eternal son. So listen, CJ, I'm, I'm out of time. I, I hope that's helpful. But again, look at the language, read John 14, 15, 16, 17, and ask if a oneness person can truly believe what's written there without changing fundamental meanings. That's what happens in a cult-like setting with the fundamentals. Hey, friends, we are out of time. Join me on my website over the weekend. Check out a key article on there today about California. Will they burn books next? AskDrBrown.org.